You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's happening, pod people? Who ever says pod people? Whoever does, seriously, should be slapped in the face. But thanks for joining us on this journey down the independent music rabbit hole where we talk to all of the people who are putting out all the stuff and documenting this scene. I often describe this podcast as a audio zine. Because essentially, that's what I'm trying to do here, trying to build context for around what these creators are doing, what these people who are documenting our independent music scene, punk, hardcore, metal, whatever you want to call it, as long as it's uh, of that DIY variety, that's what we do here on this pod. And today is a great, great conversation with a guy who is often referred to as a legend of the Salt Lake City music scene. Gentry Densley. He plays in a band called Iceburn, um, and he has done, I think he also played in Ascend, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Greg Anderson, or yeah, I could be completely mixing that up, but what he is mainly known for is Iceburn, and uh, he, Iceburn is a long-running band project, whatever you want to call it, who just recently released a a new two-song I was I was going to say EP, but this thing clocks in at over 40 minutes, so, uh, you know, maybe full length, I would argue, uh, that just got released on Southern Lord Records. But this dude has put out a ton of really creative material with some really interesting labels, you know, Victory, Revelation, Southern Lord, has done so much cool stuff, and I've been a fan of Iceburn for a long time. I've really enjoyed, I mean, all the way from their first 7-inch that came out on Victory, and then their Fire On LP. That one I remember getting from a Victory Records mail order catalog because I had liked the song that got included on a comp at some point, and I was like, "Let me uh, let me check this out." And then listening to it and being like, "What the hell is this? I like this, but I don't know where to put this in my brain." But anyways, that's. That's Iceburn in a nutshell, but Gentry was a great conversation, so let's talk to him in a moment. But of course, there's always some things that you can do to support this show. For one, tell your friends. Tell people who care about independent music and conversations, because that's the best way for this show to grow, and uh, I've been noticing a little uptick in the downloads, and I appreciate that. That means uh, you're doing exactly what I'm telling you to, or it's just you know increasing exponentially from an audience perspective organically either way i appreciate that so tell your friends you can also share this show on social media tag guests you know do whatever you people do on social media I act like i'm better than that but you know i know what you do on social media i exist except i'm not on tiktok because i mean I, I just feel weird about tiktok i'm sure you do maybe if you are of a certain age uh, i just feel like that's a a rabbit hole that i can trip down and probably never come out because that's why tiktok exists but anyways uh yeah and then you can also leave a review on apple podcast for the show it makes it look legitimate in the eyes of the algorithm so please do that if you you know want to toss a few stars that direction or write some sentences about this show I would appreciate that. And you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. That is uh, always open for you to say what's up because, uh, yeah, I, I respond to emails. I like to be in contact with you, the audience member. Um, it's funny because my 10-year-old my son, he often asks me because, you know, he, as most kids that exist on the internet, uh, when I say on the internet, he just watches YouTube videos, let's be clear. But he's like, do you get fan mail, daddy? <laughs> 
And I'm like, well, I get I get people that write me emails occasionally, and uh, you know, he's like, so is that fan mail? I'm like, I mean, I guess, but it's not like he's like. And then, he, then he follows it up by saying, maybe maybe you should put your address on your website so people can send you fan mail. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love children. Just so innocent. It's beautiful. But anyways, all that aside, Gentry is on the show. Let's talk about Salt Lake City and Iceburn and everything that this man has put out in the world. So let's go. I will, uh, I will take you back to uh, Fire On because that was my first exposure to Iceburn as a young, fledgling, hardcore child, you know, 15, 16 years old and understanding the world of Victory Records. And, uh, you know, I was obsessed with everything that Victory put out, um, you know, even listening to, you know, Hi-Fi, the Roadburners or whatever, being like, oh, this is good, I guess. But <laughs> I I just remember my first interaction where it it legitimately broke my brain listening to fire on because I was like, I, I see where you're coming from because there's aggressiveness to it. But at the same time, there were so many things that I was not familiar with in any capacity. And the song fall in particular, which I'm fairly certain was on a compilation and that's how I heard of it. Mm. It, it, it was, yeah, like I said, I just, I was, I was confused, but I was intrigued I'm going to guess that my experience is very reflective over the way that people have reacted to most of your music and not in a bad way, but just in a, you know, in a way that's like, hmm, this uh, defies categorization, but there's stuff in there that I like and I am intrigued. Am I correct in that? Yeah, sure. And anytime that we maybe <laughs> we didn't stay on one thing long enough, I guess we kept pushing those boundaries every time, every record. And it was us, you know, going through our own learning curve and, and life um, in pursuit of higher music, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, we definitely threw everything we knew into into those through our own special little filters. Right. <laughs> right. And I, I, I think, too, I mean, I'm thankful that a band like you can exist within the context of the independent music scene where it's like, you know, I would never have run across all of the different musical genres that you were shoving into this blender. If it was like, you know, if someone was like, Hey, I'm going to play you a free jazz record at 16, I'll be like, no, I don't want to listen to that. (laughs) But packaged in the way that you did, it allowed, you know, kids and I use that maybe in air quotes to explore different genres of music that they normally wouldn't be exposed to. Yeah. And for us, we saw parallel, maybe energies, similar energy in the music and similar like ethos, revolutionary kind of spirits, you know, from whatever Miles Davis to Stravinsky. So we were definitely thinking, you know, those guys were punk for, in their day for what they were doing. So 
um, that was kind of our perspective. Sure. No, it's a very valid point because going against the grain with whatever music style you are participating in is not popular. <laughs> and that's that same notion of clearly the entire DIY punk and hardcore ecosystem was built off of. So it's just viewed it through a different lens. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so putting the focus on you, and I'll, I'll pull a little bit of uh, different th- threads a little bit later in regards to all your music, but you were you actually born and raised in Salt Lake City? No, um, born in up Midway. It's kind of up in the mountains. It's a It was a Swiss community. Um, they thought it kind of was like the Alps up there, and it and it very much is. Um, so it's you know Park City is a little bit away from Salt Lake, um, and then we're another mountain range over. Um, so, but I ended up going to college in Salt Lake. Um, I did spend a bit in Vegas as well as a young boy. My dad was a golf pro, so we bounced around to places that had, you know, year round access to golf, <laughs> like Vegas. Right. Uh, right. Right. I saw snow there once, but, um, yeah. So mostly in Utah and later I grew up, uh, you know, went other places, lived in California and LA, San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. But definitely through, you know, high school and college ended up, up here in Salt Lake a lot. Sure. The, it's interesting with your father being a golf pro. So basically he jumped around to different sort of, you know, clubs and golf courses to be able to be that resident pro there. Sure. Yeah. And we even, we were out in Roosevelt, Utah, which is out very East desert and out by, um, you know, uh, Indian reservations and dinosaur excavations. So it was kind of crazy, weird little place out there, Roosevelt. I forgot about that, but yeah, <laughs> right. almost like a military kid, you know, bouncing around every few years, but we always ended up in either Midway or, you know, somewhere in Utah. Got it. Yeah. And what was your family structure like? Like, I don't know if you have, I mean, I know you have a younger brother, um, but sure. what else did the household look like? Oh, yeah. Lots of sisters and a couple brothers. Um, my sister, Nikki, was actually in Lifeless. Um, oh, wow. My, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, she, so she played bass and um, that band kind of ended tragically, but um yeah, and my little brother Tyler is a tattoo artist in um, bands like Ludax and um, other things. He kind of came up doing art for Iceburn on Fire and his, you know, like seven-year-old scribbles are on that. Because I'm like 13 years older than him, I think. Okay. So we had a big spread out family. I was the oldest. Um, and yeah, so four, ended up being four sisters and two brothers so three boys seven i don't know big yeah. kind of <laughs> kind of thing for sure <laughs> that definitely is uh, symptomatic of uh, utah in general <laughs> yes yeah uh, did your uh i guess were your parents a part of the uh mormon faith as it were or was this just completely separate from that it 
they actually weren't. It was weird. Um, where I grew up, Midway was more of a mining kind of community from Park City. And my grandpa was like mayor and then worked at the state parks as a ranger. But um, what happened, we moved to Vegas, like I said, and my parents actually joined the Mormon church there. And so I kind of came up in it for a bit. I think I was in third grade or so, maybe. Um, and then by the time I hit high school, I was very much like, I, this is, I see so much hypocrisy. I'm going to kind of do my own thing. Um, and luckily there was straight edge, so I could kind of be like in their eyes, a good kid, but still be into hardcore and skating and crazy music, you know? Right. It does. That affords you the ability. I mean, I'm 40 years old and I still define myself as straight edge, but there, I, I always really liked that, not a free pass, but that once you explained straight edge to your parents, it was like, oh, so you're not going to get completely intoxicated and drive drunk or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. you're just going to be stupid with your friends in some sweaty rooms. Yeah. Although some Salt Lake straight edgers may have taken it too far, we as we know. I, 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 would, uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I was, uh, somebody should make a documentary about that, but... Maybe they will. Yeah, it it is interesting. I mean that that was a, such a confluence of events going into certain scenes, especially where it's like you know because Reno had a, a violent straight edge culture in Salt mm. Lake City, and it's just like, and there was always violence in like Boston and Philly. But yeah, it would be interesting to kind of like trace the roots back, like where did it actually begin, like and why did it happen in Salt Lake City? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well. I mean, I was there, but <laughs> right. Yeah, you're like, I know why. <laughs> no, not not necessarily. I mean, we our little first wave of it, you know, Insight and Better Way was my band, and um, Sadhana was like a Krishna band that was around there. It was like we had this place called the Unity House, which was Mark from Insight's place, mm-hmm. and the Unity Crew. We were just, and so we were all into the positive PMA, you know good stuff and but then you know you're attracted to that little darker anger edge and uh as as the scene grew i think it more grew in that direction of course yeah yeah no that's and you're i think people that you know started to follow down that line you had all of these outside influences as well as like you know the whole direct action and vegan community. Like once Mm -hmm. that all started to impact that as well, it was like, you know, just a perfect storm where people could be like, Oh yes, I'm going to do all of these things. And 99% of it's illegal. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it's interesting you being the, you know, first kid on the scene and then you kind of being able to explore all of these interesting subcultures that I'm sure your parents had no real context for. And then all of your siblings kind of having this touch point as well. Was it, did you find yourself like your interests clearly bleeding down to the rest of your siblings? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. It became very much a generational thing. Um, and even within the scene, but, um, yeah, it's funny how those things go. Um, definitely the tastes and right what everybody became vegetarian all the kids basically um and vegan uh, you know um a lot of them still are so yeah it's kind of interesting how 
I guess they say lead by example. And so, right. <laughs> and how, how did your parents react to you? I mean, like you said, there was that permissiveness in regards to, you know, them sure. feeling okay with you getting involved with this stuff and straight edge and everything. Yeah. But how, like, did they just kind of look at this as being like, okay, Gentry's bringing this home. This seems relatively positive. So we'll let them run with this. Or were they just kind of like, I, I have no, like, I have no concept of this. So we're just going to let him do it. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of that. Um, I would say, I think the vegetarianism was the hardest thing for them to wrap, you know, their heads around or at least, yeah. And my grandparents and things just like that was mind boggling to them that you would want to be like that or pursue that kind of lifestyle. And so we had a lot of discussions, you know, and, uh, I was pretty strong willed in those regards. And, um, so maybe that had a bit of influence going down, but, um, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they were once the music started. I don't know. I think they were a little disappointed. I was going into electrical engineering, and then I kind of got my butt kicked. It was just so much work. Um, and after a couple of years at college, I took a music class, and I ended up getting all A's. And I was like, I really love learning about music. So I'm just, I'm like. I'm going to get a degree, but it's going to be in music. Um, right. So that's what ended up happening. I think that may have been so the vegetarianism and the music degree, those are hard pills to swallow. <laughs> sure. Especially on a path, like you were saying, there's this yeah. real pack practical application of working with your hands. And then you're like, I'm still going to work with my hands, just a whole different thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so as you were, you know, like basically building your identity and coming more into, you know, yourself, were you, uh, you know, were you outgoing? Did you find yourself, you know, mixing it up with the other weirdos in your school? Like, you know, where did you kind of find yourself? No, I mean, I've always been pretty introverted. Um, but yeah, in high school, uh, that's where Chubba, the drummer for, Iceburn in the currently now and in the beginning, um, he was he was like a little bit younger than me, but we always hung out and skated and got into the same all the same music and we kind of came to it through all the skate rock stuff and some thrash and you know those thrasher comps. Um, mm -hmm. and, and luckily we also had Brad Collins, um, who owned Ranch Records and he would do a radio show, you know, every Saturday night or what, maybe it was Sunday, but you could record those. And then you have this tape just full of crazy, you know, he was playing all the coolest punk music and he was also bringing the bands in. So, um, but in high school, I mean, I hung out with him and maybe one other kind of dude that <laughs> we liked skating. And there's more cowboys than skateboarders for sure. Sure. Um, and I ended up um, coming up to Salt Lake 
and because I had gone to one like year of middle school in Sandy, Utah, which is part of Salt Lake. And so I had this old buddy, Paul Iba, and uh, he was friends with all these other guys in the skating scene. And so, and those guys ended up being, you know, eventually it was starting bands like Insight. So, um, but I would come down on the weekends um, and go to shows with them um, and go skate around the city. Um, There's a place, Alice's, pretty early on you know, seeing the descendants and local things like stench. And I think COC was touring around then. So that, that kind of lit a fire in me for sure to see all of that. And that group of friends that we kind of made then is still pretty tight to this day. Listen, I could wear a different band shirt for pretty much every day of an entire year, if not a year and a half. You want your closet to look like that, right? Or maybe not. But the place where you can buy all of your band merch is rockabilia.com. And when I say all of your band merch, I mean all of it. Because like, I was just I went on the website. Well, first of all, before I go into that, you need to use this promo code. 100wordspodcast will give you 10% off your entire order. And that's like that's free money, okay? Because you're going to order this stuff no matter what. But I just popped onto their website. Was, and this just shows you how wide of a palette that they paint with in regards to the bands they stock. They got everything from, you know, Beatles and Black Sabbath all the way down to like, hey, you want a Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young polo shirt? Or how about a Chicago baseball cap? Or how about a Lauryn Hill baseball cap? They just have so much stuff that you will have a ball going into their website, ordering some stuff, having it shipped out to you from an independently owned business straight out of the Midwest, I love what they do, and uh, you've heard me espouse their awesomeness for many, many episodes. So what are you waiting for? Use the promo code 100wordspodcast, 10% off, and you will reap the benefits of ordering band merch and having your closet look like some version of mine, which may lead you down a very dark road of collecting band merch, but that's neither here nor there. But rockabilly.com, the place to go, 100wordspodcast is the promo code. And what I what I find interesting about the you know the, the musical path that you went on is because there was clearly a lot of different influences going into you know as you were starting you know Iceburn and figuring it out because you know usually and I know you did play like you mentioned you know a better way which was you know youth crew sort of posy hardcore stuff but usually you know your first bands are, are pretty terrible like you'd have no idea what you're doing and you know you could arguably look at you know the earlier iceburn releases and just be like oh yeah we had no idea what we were doing but you were always doing like really really out there stuff in the context of the hardcore scene and the punk scene and so the the motivation to pull in these different influences without getting kind of like made fun of even though maybe you guys did get made fun of like you know how what gave you i guess the for lack of a better term, like courage to do yeah. that, to be like, yeah, we're, we're combining all this stuff. We don't care. Hmm. I mean, definitely one touch point, I would say the, there's this band, the bad yodelers. Um, and they were huge for us and our scene uh, early on. Um, Carl Alvarez, who was in descendants and then all later, he was, he was a local Salt Lake guy, him and um, Stefan from, that 
you know, those bands. <laughs> mm-hmm. They joined Bill Stevenson. Um, and, and so they were kind of the generation older than me. And um, with the Bad Yodlers, the drummer wrote everything and he was classically trained um, and, but super into Metallica. And so like, we heard these things in their music and um, I think definitely wanted to explore that more. Um, and Brent, who is that drummer, you know, from the Bad Yodlers, he actually um, engineered and recorded Firen with us or Firon. I say Fire because it's like Fire and Iron together. Sure, sure. Um, but um, yeah, so he helped us record those. And I remember we were playing Winter in the studio and it has this passage that I basically um, kind of adapted from Vivaldi's Winter. And and uh, I remember him in the middle, he was like, what? He's like, hmm, I read, what is that progression? And so it was fun to like, um, I don't know, surprise him or impress him with that and um that's just one example of thing i we just kind of threw all sorts of stuff in there that meant something to us and we thought was cool like we sure. didn't play all of Vivaldi's winter but we definitely took some crazy bits from it that are um kind of i don't know they definitely fit that world of um, hardcore and, and and metal, I guess. Um, so, we were but you just didn't. I mean, I, I guess that it's just like, yeah, you obviously didn't care like about the. <laughs> you no, know, and I mean that in a positive way, where you guys were like, okay, like this is what we're going to do, you know irregardless of the way that people are going to, you know, look weird at us. Cause there is that level of insecurity, especially when you're younger. Like, I don't even care if you're sure. in your early twenties, just that idea that like, yeah, if we're not hitting that mosh part, just right. Like, you know, people are going to be like, geez, this is like a, you know, three headed Hydra playing in front of us. Like what the <laughs> hell, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, you know, whatever, I'm just blowing smoke yeah. up your butt, but just like that level of courage of being like, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. We don't care. <laughs> we were definitely a little, you know, self-absorbed and, and didn't, I mean, not that we didn't care. I think we, we just thought we're going to do what we think is super cool. And of course, hopefully people will think it's cool too. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds awesome. So, um, that's what you followed. Yeah. No, (laughs) right. That makes sense. Um, and so, like you said, when you were going to you know college and and switching the idea of a sort of career path, whatever that may mean, um, mm. and, and I'm guessing during that, like, is when you were in college, is that when Iceburn was kind of forming and you were yeah. playing shows? Yep. Um, okay. Definitely. You know, some music classes are informing uh, that first record. <laughs> So, um, and, and that's cool. And then it, you know, it's kind of became more intense and maybe abstract from there, but, um, yeah, cause with, we were just absorbing tons of stuff, friends working at music stores and, uh, trying to play music all the time, practicing all the time. 
So um, I don't know. I just look back and there's so many things that were um, coming together to influences from, Mm -hmm. yeah, from Chubba was really into Jane's addiction and then I'm really into breadwinner. And so it's (laughs) like, wow, what's going to happen there? (laughs) (laughs) And how, uh, on a semi-related tangent, how long did you, I I guess like, you know, keep, straight edge going like was that something that you know lasted you up until you were you know in your mid-20s or like how did that kind of you know fade out of your life if it did um for me um personally i was yeah straight edge and vegetarian mostly vegan throughout the entire life of iceburn and then it was only later um in maybe when i hit 40 I think, or something um, that yeah. I realized I needed some kind of different proteins in my life and, and had to adjust my diet and things. Um, sure. And I may have found some beer before then. Um, but yeah, I, I stuck it out for quite a while, at least. Um, the, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the reason I do bring that up and pardon the interruption, but just the, that, that notion again of like, you know, when you're, you're a hardcore kid, you're one thing. And then, you know, when you place other labels on yourself, you're, you know, another thing on top of that thing. And then again, like being able to expand past that, like that's a, you know, you're, uh, it, it's difficult to transcend some of those labels to where it's just like, Oh, Gentry's, you know, new band is like not a posi core band. And it's going to be doing that. Like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. And you're still straight edge. Like what the hell dude, this is weird. You know? Yeah. And for us, it was just, uh, certain things feel right or whatever. And yeah, and yeah we learned a lot from uh, other bands and band members and friends, see people go down bit different paths. So um, all sorts of cautionary tales in the scene. Right. right yeah. And I, I, I don't mean to, you know, kind of belabor or hammer home that point, but it's just, it's, I just find it so uh, unique because people do stick into their lanes, especially when it comes to music and those formative years of where you're shoving so much stuff in your head, you're like, some people don't allow themselves to listen to it's like, Oh yeah. Like I can only listen to, you know, like anything earth crisis related and you know, like <laughs> they don't expand past that. Like e- e- even as yeah. something is, you know, benign is like listening to pop punk where it's just like, Oh dude, you don't listen to that. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> so anyways, the, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I just find it so fascinating because there's a singular path that you have followed that doesn't, you know, that bucks a lot of trends. So way yeah. to go, Gentry. Okay. <laughs> um, and because of that, like, I know that, you know, with your connections with, uh, you know, victory and revelation, I presume a lot of that function was based on the fact that that was your network. So that is kind of who you were going to work with from a business perspective. Uh, am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, I think with once we moved with Jordan, he was kind of, he's like anything you guys want to do. He kind of trusted that we knew what we wanted to do and um, kind of had an artistic vision. There was some other labels sniffing around because it was, of course, that heyday of like, you know, Atlantic Records, A&R guys picking up all the bands they can. And uh, 
I think there was something with one of this Bowie label, David Bowie had some side label or something. And, and we just, we were afraid we had seen like, um, some of our friends, like Zach from Rage Against the Machine kind of get sucked into a machine, even though they, you know, they were doing lots of cool stuff, but they're, we didn't want our lives to be that really like, uh, and we just wanted to kind of follow our path. And I think Jordan just was like, yeah, whatever you want to do, you know, I'll, you know, help you record it, distribute it, all of that. Um, so we definitely stuck with him because of that. Also Stormy Shepard, um, she was initially like our booking agent. I think her first tour was the Insight tour. Um, and then, you know, she ends up in the mid nineties picking up a rancid and offspring and green day. She was booking all those bands when they really exploded and, but she would still book stuff for us too. And so we end up on these kind of weird tours where sometimes we're opening for the offspring and sometimes not. And, um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I knew of those shows exist. I just didn't know Stormy was involved with that, but it does make sense. So like, yeah, what, for sure. I, I guess what sticks out as some of those like completely hilarious pairings that you're just like, wow, we did not make sense pulling in front of that crowd at all, but it was fun. Oh yeah. And we got th- stuff thrown at us sometimes like in Denver. Or, I remember with the offspring when they were just finally, you know, picking up some steam and getting big. Um, we were <laughs> with them and we pissed some people off. So <laughs> I mean, we continued to for years after that, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> I just love, I just love that notion, especially to like a-, a band like offspring that's completely blowing up and you know, you guys are playing ostensibly in front of, you know, way more people than you ever would on your own. And then just like completely punishing the audience of like, Hey, you guys are going to get, <laughs> You guys are not going to get, you know, got to keep us separated. You're going to get us, uh, you know, 30, 30 minutes of a, a one song or whatever. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, <laughs> and again, that just goes into everything we were talking about before, where it's just like, we're going to do this thing. And then hopefully some people will understand enough of what we're doing either at that particular time or, you know, maybe in retrospect as they start to look back on that stuff. Not like you had the foresight for that, but... <laughs> No, it was just a path we were on. We maybe we figured people would catch up, but I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah. Talk. The new record feels like it's well received in a way, but it actually harkens back, you know, to earlier um, methodologies that we we were using. Sure, absolutely. The um, so as you started to you know get out and tour with Iceburn and the the implications of being a quote unquote real band, you know, like getting paid for shows and stuff like that. Like how did you navigate the the business side of the band or was that something that you just sort of knew you had to encounter and then just dealt with it as it came? Or was that something you actually enjoyed working with? No, we didn't even really think of that. We just typically scrounged up enough money to make it work. And, um, we, yeah, <laughs> we weren't really 
I don't know what we were thinking. We, but we, we definitely um, weren't thinking about money, really. Um, just having enough to get a burrito or get everybody, uh, you know. I think we had like a $10 per diem or something from the band. And um, Jordan would help us buy a van if if things got dire, things like that. But we had some crazy tours, and I'm sure we all lost some money at various points. Sure. <laughs> um, there's as, as one does. Yep. And, uh, but it wasn't really like that. We, for, for at least the half of the life, um, I was doing school full time. And so we just tour in the summer for a bit. Um, and Stormy would book those. And a lot of times they were, really cool or people would maybe even just pay you something because they know Stormy's going to bring some other band through, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that, so, and you don't need much to make a buy like that. And we weren't really looking for that. So, um, yeah, we were kind of more focused on music and what we wanted to be creating and how to get it out there. Right. Yeah. The, the, the business was, uh, you know, on a list of a hundred things that was probably the 99th thing you were concerned about. Yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> if that, yeah. If it even yeah, made the if list. that. <laughs> what, uh, how did you like touring? Because I know that as you're touring, like the beginning of it is very exciting and then, you know, people's sure. relationship evolves with touring. Um, how did you kind mm-hmm. of find it over time? Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. Um, I think even today for anybody going out, um, it can be pretty hard, lots of long drives, and especially we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. You got to go, you know, pretty long haul. Denver's the closest, or Boise, and they're, you know, eight to ten hours, depending on how you're going, but um i think later touring has been a little nicer like touring in europe um people treat you a bit better in in the states especially in the 90s it was pretty rough uh, <laughs> sure and uh yeah you're not making enough to really spend on a hotel or anything so um I remember Ed Rodriguez was in the band later. We toured and he had this whole huge bag of chocolate chip cookies from his mom that he lived off. And then he had a bag of tortillas that he lived off as well, but (laughs) just always had had something. It was vegetarian though. So that's sure. um, (laughs) I love that where it's like, it's the care package at the beginning of tour that is going to last the entire tour. And then there's like a, you know, a package of uh, 12 white t-shirts and then whatever a band gives you on the road. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. We, but um, I don't know. I still, I don't love the touring or traveling maybe. Um, typically you have a lot of downtime and it's hard to keep busy. Um, I always was wanting to use that time, you know, focus on something. Um so um, I ended up trying to, you know, write or, or play 
and it, and it was good for most of my groups, I guess we've like Iceburner, Eagle Twin. We, we try to play something different every night. And, um, so during the day, we're kind of talking about creating the set and, or at least a roadmap for it and how we're going to get from the beginning to the end. And that can be, um, pretty fun, a good creative exercise. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I always feel you, so you like get to the town in, in the old Iceburn days. Yeah. Get there, like get some bunch of coins or get out the dialer later, um, and call the promoter or the club and then look up in the phone book where the vegetarian restaurant is, or maybe you had a little, one of those booklets that told you where all the vegetarian restaurants are and (laughs) seek that out, seek out the health food place or something. And, and so it was kind of a little ritual that you would end up doing. Sometimes we had the, the same spot. Right. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Then, then your day is made. You're just yeah. like, Hey, we got some, we got some coffee, we got some sweet vegan eats and, uh, that psh, that's great. That's all we need for today. <laughs> and I remember going to Chicago, there was a place in the South side called, uh, uh, soul vegetarian. Oh yeah. And we, I think, yeah, we were the whitest kids in there for sure. Um, but that, that was an amazing place and they, treated us great so yeah you were it's like we're used to uh you know serving the uh the the jamaicans of the south side and then all of a sudden this you know group of dirty white kids rolls in it's like how'd you find out about us what yeah Yeah. in this you know this zine (laughs) (laughs) totally totally no i love i love that it's i mean especially back in that day everything was uh you know very hand-to-mouth where you didn't have the convenience of the internet bringing the entire world together. It was just a matter of like, oh yeah, like this dude said that this place was cool, so we're going to try it out. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no even thought in our head, I think, of maybe we're just oblivious entitled white kids, but we we didn't think it was weird at all to be in deep in the south side Chicago and (laughs) Yeah, you're fine. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I heard the but food's good here, guys. I had some dreadlocks. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> the um, and, and I know that, like you know, as the band progressed and as your you know musical expression progressed, that you were you know clearly not ever pursuing any of your music from a full time perspective. So you know, I know you were a library you were a librarian for the prison system for a while, correct or no? Oh, uh, that. That started in 2000, yeah. So right, maybe when Iceburn was ended. Um, okay. And as yeah, for the county jail, and I'm still doing that. We're earning my pension. Um, Got it. So when I retire, I get I can get paid something. Right, and then you can tour again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so as you were, you know, kind of living, uh, not two lives, but, you know, as you were still actively putting out music, um, but then, you know, building a a life as one does, uh, was that, I guess, important for you to kind of be able to, you know, balance both those sides of your life or was that, or did you desire to be like, man, I would love to make it as a full-time musician? I mean, there's always that thought in the back of your head, but, um, I think for a lot of us that were in Iceburn, um, it was more um, 
we have this job so that we have the flexibility to kind of do the music that we want. And so I'm earning money working, you know, at the jail or working at other libraries before that. Um, and I don't have to, you know, compromise my art, I guess, at all, or compromise the music in any way. It's like I can do whatever I want because I have my own um, healthcare and things lined up. So that was kind of always the thought there that we wanted to be beholden to no one. Sure. Yeah. Self-sufficient to where it's not like you would have any sort of uh, commercial interest infiltrating the, you know, 15 minute long songs you were writing. (laughs) I mean, there is, but I don't know. We, we do think about the audience and sure about what we're creating um, and want to definitely do cool stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely was being reductive there, but I know I, yeah, I know. (laughs) All of a sudden, this interview is tr- going to take a real wild turn where you're like, you're a dick, right? <laughs> um, I own it. Yeah, no, I, I understood completely. Um, and kind of along that same line, too, it, it seems like the you know network that you have always worked within and built up, you know, working with Greg at Southern Lord, they all are derived from the same root of the punk and hardcore scene. And that just seems like it's always boils through you, no matter what the musical output is, even if it's not aggressive. Um, So is that just something, uh, a function again of your, the people who you have trusted the longest and you have these longstanding relationships that want to invest in you? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I mean, in a way they're long friendships as well and collaborations and, um, I don't know. I feel pretty lucky. Me and Greg Anderson first met, you know, on his or brotherhood was touring with the accused of all bands. And we had, my band happened to open up. Um, and so ever since then, you know, crisscrossing across the country, he was somebody like-minded and, you know, we're only born like a month apart. So I think we kind of definitely, had similar experiences growing up or followed similar musical paths, even it definitely diverged there in the middle, but, um, we were kind of, I had just moved to LA and was kind of pursuing some free jazz stuff, maybe in the late nineties. And, and he was starting up with doing goat snake and stuff. And even though they were kind of worlds apart, we ended up playing shows together and, as, as you do. Um, but, um, yeah, I, w- I was kind of unaware of that whole scene that he was a part of. And then I, I come to it later and then I see him kind of come to all the free jazz stuff later, you know? So we had like kind of these, um, I don't even know, just bouncing around on similar, um, similar likes, you know? And, uh, we did tour together, Iceburn and Engine Kid, and um, even when we thought we were kind of a, on a similar page, I think we definitely had our differences. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a interesting path, and you know, he would call me brother from another mother, or sister from a different mister. So um, sure, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> 
which and I, I think I mean the the thread that I'm trying to pull on here is the fact that when we all have these really similar experiences within the context of you know DIY and building scenes, whatever that may mean, and playing in bands and having all of these common bonds, regardless of the paths that we take, there is that level of comfort that you just have stepping into a person with a similar background. You're just like, oh, you know, I mean, honestly, not too dissimilar to what you and I did when we started recording, where I was just like, oh, yeah, we have mutual friends. And you're just immediately like, oh, yeah, I trust this person. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's cool. We have similar experiences. So I get it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, I think with Southern Lord, there's that certain um, you can do whatever you want and we'll um, put it out because we know it's going to be right. cool. So. Right, right. It's that yeah. honestly, it's the and th- this leads into a question I was going to ask where I think for as long as I've been aware of you and I've had, you know, these different touch points with you, everybody <laughs> and you don't have to agree with me, I'm just placing this on you. <laughs> there's this there's this level of reverence of like you're like, oh gentry. Like, you know, gentry has been on his own musical plane and has been, you know, <laughs> do, doing his own thing within the context of uh, you know, independent music, Salt Lake City, whatever. Um, it, it all it always kind of you know gets gets traced back to you, where it's like, yes, this you know this is one of the uh, the OGs in the scene, as it were. Um, but yet, you've clearly never bought into the ego worship that happens within you know, for better or worse, for some people being like, oh yes, like I am this person. Um, was that just, I guess, natural for you to sort of deflect that, uh, for lack of a better term, attention to be like, yeah, I, I'm just, I just happen to be doing this band. Like, you know, you can do the same yeah. thing, except whatever. So, like, how, how did that kind of ping pong around your head? Yeah, I don't know if I ever thought, oh, you can do the same thing, but maybe. <laughs> I told you, like, actually, I advise you against it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always felt I was lucky to also have good people around me. And, um, so I don't know. I think I learned early on that you need to, um, acknowledge that and acknowledge the efforts of everybody in the band, um, that's contributing. Um, so I'm thankful to them and it, it kind of, for me being in music so long, by the time this, latest iceberg came around it was like i found myself maybe playing to everybody's strengths um and kind of maybe even creating the music for the for the group um so that everybody kind of was doing what they want to be doing um and but to avoid your questioning even more um maybe <laughs> hey it's fine I, I, but yeah, I, some people may think I have an ego, but I was always, I could just be quiet and not say anything. And then somebody gets super intimidated and that's what happened a lot (laughs) in, um, certain situations. It's like, I don't, I don't even know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. And then you end up being this weird, mysterious, dark figure in the corner or something with, (laughs) Well, it, it's, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I, I do think there is a little bit of that, the, um, n- not like personally what I, I would view you as, but there's definitely that concept of 
the sort of music that you create, it being so quote unquote heady and like, you know, uh, not playing to what people might typically define as, you know, any one music genre. It's just like, it could be that level of pretension, like, oh, Gentry thinks he's like, again, this is hyperbole, but like Gentry thinks he's better than everybody. Like, I can't talk to him. Like, he's just going to, you know, spit out music theory at me or something like that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, no, he just doesn't know how to interact socially. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting better. Yeah. No, hey, you're doing great. I I, I would define you as a normal conversation at this point. There we go. Um, and as you were kind of watching your, um, you know, your younger siblings start to navigate the punk and hardcore world. And, you know, like you said, with, with your younger brother singing for Ludax and, you know, I didn't know the lifeless connection. Um, was it, was it one of those things that you, did they like come to you for advice or, you know, were you going to them? I mean, it sounds like you were going to your littlest brother to help out with artwork. Like how did that, I guess, symbiotic relationship work? Oh yeah, they don't, I don't know. Um, either it was too awkward or they never really came to me with, with too much. Um, me and Tyler, my brother have had talked about, you know, doing various things over the years, but it never came together, like trying to do something together. Um, and for whatever reasons, just, never really came to fruition but um yeah i they they don't really care what maybe they care what i have to say i don't know um <laughs> yeah or you're just they the, developed yeah. this kind of hard thing i think uh we have kind of a tough love family in a way but okay but i mean not totally it's a weird complex thing and i think it you know it goes back through families to grandparents and other things but um sure so you're like a you're like a family yeah 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 yeah. it's kind of kind of weird all those uh those things work where it's it's never simple and complicated at the same time yeah for truth yeah and then um I know you have, do you have two children or do you have more yeah. than that? Okay. No, just, and I, they're pretty young. I came to sure. very late in life. Sure. So how is that experience of like, you know, I mean, I'm sure as they age, they will understand your, you know, interest and passion for music and the creative process. Um, you know, is that one thing that you are, trying to you know instill within them or are you trying to mm-hmm. let them obviously find their own voice i'm sure there's a mixture of both but um you know are, are they aware that uh, music is important to you like how's that oh yeah yeah okay yeah um and you know throw up some youtube video and there's dad up there oh <laughs> it's kind of interesting for them and cool um and ruby used to do a crazy almost throat singing version of twinkle twinkle little star so um she was kind of more into the words and and she would just bang on an instrument and then sing over it and stuff um and that's and ruby's going on five here now um but has she's like 
listening to Little Nas now or something. It's like, wow, okay, um, <laughs> maybe I'm sure we'll, you're like, but I mean, it's good stuff that I, it, I don't know. My world is kind of turning on to different things, but she's definitely um, someone who can just make up a song. Maybe she's heard me do it, just like make up silly random lyrics that all flow together or you're describing your day and she ends up, you know, coming up with melodies and rhyming it together um, or not. And um, so she kind of has a weird little natural gift for that. And I, I don't ever push them too hard. I try to play good stuff around and play classical music to, so they can kind of, hear pitches and get those things in their mind because at, at that age they're really open to a lot of those things and they can you can end up kind of you know understanding um, music and pitches in a different way I think if you're exposed to things like that early on um, and the little dude Thoreau he's He's kind of just barely talking now. So, um, but yeah. Oh, he'll out of nowhere. He's just like started humming or singing the um, Adams Family theme. He's like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> so, and they do the whole step thing where, you know, nah, 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 nah. and I'm like, whoa, you guys are. So they, they have some cool, like, musical memory um going on that i try to encourage um but yeah it's like ruby's really into insects so of course let's let her learn about that it's right yeah it's, all of that right she was telling me about how roly-poly bugs are not they're crustaceans they're not bugs they're more related to shrimp or something <laughs> oh wow that's yeah. cool yeah and you're like and you're like, hey, here's a chain of strength record. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, last few things I want to hit on before I let you go was the, yeah. um, you know, clearly with the, uh, I, I mean, would you call it, a, I guess, a resurrection of Iceburn? I mean, I know you've always been in, a, active and inactive, but um, whatever. We'll label it as such. The resurrection of Iceburn. Um, Time coming. Right. Uh, and like you said, this is more akin to your earlier stuff than, you know, what you had been doing over the past 10 to 15 years. Yep. Um, I'm sure it felt, uh, did it feel, I guess, weird to go back to, and I don't mean weird in a bad way, but it did, did it feel interesting to uh, exercise those muscles that you have maybe hadn't exercised in quite some time? Yeah, I think it was kind of a weird gradual process for us. And as we played more kind of reunion type shows or we'd play a bunch of the old stuff, you know, every couple of years. And then, um, we started coming up with new stuff that felt, you know, like it was in that vein and like we all kind of understood our roles. And, um, I think, for us, I think we look back to those records like Hephaestus and um, around the Poetry of Fire era and stuff, um, and even Metatavolutions we wrote when Chubba was in the band and then he left and it ended up being 
um, Dan Day recording that with us. But um, I think those the formal approach on those um, where we you have you know written parts and you have improvised parts and they can come together differently um, each time. And there's little cues that you know we worked out years ago that so just got to give the right head nod or something um, to bring in the next part. And uh, so I think one of the weirdest things with the new record was trying to go back to the vocals um, because I definitely sang a lot differently when I was younger and I was self-conscious of a lot of it. So um, with Eagle Twin, I get to, you know, tap my Mongolian throat singing side and I love it. So it just feels super natural and, and it's like almost put a little distortion on your voice and stuff. And I guess there's a bit of that in the new Iceburn record, but I didn't want to, you know, just come in with Eagle twin vocals on the Iceburn record. So it, 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 that was probably one of the trickier things is trying to, um, find something that felt right um, for it. And, and plus the words, um, it's always been really easy with Eagle Twin. I feel like a real strong connection to the lyrics first. And then, and then the music kind of comes after that. But uh, a lot of the Iceburn stuff we were coming up with, uh, you know, the music and the forms first, and then I'd have to go back and, and try to, fit lyrics in there and I find I don't enjoy that as much even though it came out it comes together well in the end typically but um, right it's it's trickier sure well I mean honestly just from a you know outsider's perspective it just sounds you know like clearly you're not going to sing like you know first seven enter fire on style but like it just sounds like an adult version of yourself you know (laughs) so it's like oh yeah yeah this is gentry singing but like he doesn't sound like a you know 22 year old or however you were old you were when you recorded that yeah yeah which is good in my opinion because it it, it's different than your like you said all of the projects that you've done you know recently because yeah you don't want to just seem like it's square peg round holing it yeah for sure i presume that you got hooked up with victory via the insight guys and like that kind of bubbled up that way, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then the seven inch, which was so Iceburn in the beginning was mostly insight dudes. And I, at the very end of insight, I was touring with them toward um, playing guitar. And then Jeremy was playing bass. Um, Cause he's like told me I was a better guitarist than him. And I don't know if, I was, I was trying, I was trying to learn. So, um, uh, what ended up happening? So we had the, what is it? The five of us. Um, and then Jeremy and Jamie, we had written fire uh, with all those guys. Um, and we had the whole album ready and they're like, we're going to bail. We'd been playing live and I think it was just, draining for everybody in a way like for them i find it awesome to put yourself totally out there the entire set and just give it your all and i feel they 
kind of thought it was a little bit too much and they wanted to try some different things. So Jamie and Jeremy left. Um, Jamie ended up coming back, of course, for a lot of the Iceburn stuff and is in the current version of it. Um, But yeah, so we ended up, me and the bass player, Chubba, Doug Wright was the bass, um, recording firing and so I think that was even weird because it was supposed to be Jeremy singing on those. So I was kind of, that was my first foray into even trying vocals. And I was like, right. screw it. I'm going to do it all. And people were cool and encouraged me. And um, <laughs> that that was the end result. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I... Do you have, uh, you probably have some interesting story of like being on victory in that time where um, there's so, there was so much probably confusion about why, you know, Iceburn is really, I mean, there is probably less confusion where people can make that straight line between, you know, Insight and Iceburn and being friends. And obviously, victory yeah. at that particular juncture wasn't the monolith label that they were in the late 2000 or the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. uh, but I, I'm sure it was still just a funny experience for you where it's like, oh, Tony Brummel, even score. Like, let's go. <laughs> oh, I pulled this. Sorry, my phone. You can edit that. No, no worries. I will. <laughs> I'm finishing this thing. I'll be up in a second. Okay, bye. But yeah, there was funny times it was i never had a huge amount of interactions with tony mm-hmm. and, and then lady later i ended up uh, a few years after the fire and thing getting a volunteer lawyer for the arts that was in chicago i filled out all these paperworks and um he ended up help, helping us uh you know get some money from victory in an actual like count of accounting of what had been sold. Um, so kind of had a tumultuous re- relationship because of a lot of that stuff. Um, I remember going to his house in the middle of the night. I think Chubb and somebody went up there and just grabbed a bunch of merch from him. But um, yeah, I never really had too many interactions. Um we did have sure. this roadie that pissed him off really bad one time. Um, we were all at this vegan restaurant and eating, and I think, and it so it was Sundall, Eric Sundall. Um, we called him PF. Um, maybe I heard it was for popcorn fart one time. I don't know what <laughs> it was really right. for. Um, but Tony was talking about veganism and, uh, PF started singing um, suicidal tendencies, but changing it to, I'm not vegan. You're the one that's <laughs> vegan. Institutional. Um, and Tony got really bummed out about <laughs> all of that. <laughs> but, um, and of course, PF just kept doing it. Um, made the whole night pretty awkward. Um, that's to amazing. I, <laughs> I, lo- I love it. I mean, yeah. you could not get 
a more like appropriate 90 story. <laughs> it's, it's oh, like, you know, and you have a, do you know the Sundolls at all? You, no, I don't. Okay. Well, they were part of the kind of Huntington beach scene before that. And then they ended up moving to Salt Lake and we're a big part of that kind of straight edge uprising here as well. Um, okay. So they're, I don't I'm surprised more people don't know them, but they were part of the sloth crew um, early on. Oh, okay. Um, down in, in Huntington Beach and stuff. And that's funny. That's where um, Revelation ended up. Um, of course. Yep. And a bunch of those dudes like in the, so um, kind of a bunch of interesting connections, of course. You can trace them all out, but. Yeah, no, that's um, that, that, that's that beautiful. Us back to the beginning, and the <laughs> I'm not vegan story. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, Gentry, I'm not going to punish you any longer, but um, this has been great. Thank you so much for okay. letting me ping pong around your uh, musical life, and uh, yeah, I'm just uh, excited you continue to show passion for music because uh, you know we, we we like it out here, my friend. Great, that is <laughs> wonderful to hear. There you have it. That was the Salt Lake City scene in a nutshell, right? Well, I mean, not really in a nutshell because there's so much more going on there. But regardless, Gentry plays a very crucial role to that. And I am so excited that he decided to uh, spend time on this podcast because he clearly has better things to do. But he was like, no, let's hang out for an hour. Let's do this. So, yeah, please, please check out the newest release from Iceburn. Check out all their stuff because if you are a fan of adventurous heavy music, that is what Iceburn will do and give to you. Next week is, of course, another great episode. This one is with Justin Fornoff from Wrist Meets Razor, a band that got thrown into the whole, and I hate, man, I really, really despise this description of this particular music scene, but the whole scrams scene, um, which is obviously just kind of an offshoot off of Screamo. I'm not even going to pretend to parse the language there but uh wrist meets razor just put out a new full length on prosthetic and is really really good it's kind of like i don't know like 18 visions adjacent mixed with like orchid there's a lot of stuff going on um mixed with like modern metalcore it's just really really cool stuff so i had to have justin on and plus he lives in las vegas and anytime anybody lives in las vegas and is supporting the scene out there i am always down to have a conversation so that's what we got next week justin from wrist meets razor And until then, please be safe, everybody.